We're back in the Gospel of John today, and one more week, and then we're going to take a break for the summer, and we've been putting together, Mitch is kind of taking the lead on a study in the book of Philippians that will incorporate our children's ministry, our youth ministry, teaching in here, and we're going to have a really nice resource for you guys starting next week, and so we'll finish up, we'll stop in John next week, and then we'll pick back up again in, in uh, later on down the line, and so... Uh, that's what's coming up. So a couple more weeks in John. Really have enjoyed this tremendously, just digging into the life of Jesus and just really seeing um, just his life and how he modeled for us. But more importantly, as we just sang the gospel, that he came and he gave his blood for us. And that's what it's all about. And as we tell this truth in our culture and our society, it's not going to be an easy thing to do because um, Jesus said to just expect insults. He said he, was, he received insults. We need to expect it. Uh, does anybody in here like personal insults? Do you enjoy that? I mean, of course not. And, you know, we grew up learning sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? And, and, and how untrue was that, right? How many of you, you, don't raise your hand, you still remember those things that were said to you on the playground years and years ago They still haunt you to this day? You know, everybody got made fun of as a kid, of course, but, you know, I was first or second grade, and some of the kids on the playground said, you got a big lip. And uh, I was like, what? You got, a, you got a big lip. And they didn't say it that nice. But it was funny, though. I, I got super paranoid after that. And throughout my pictures, like for like three or four grades, I always like bit my bottom lip to kind of hide my bottom lip so that it wouldn't show as big. And it stuck with me, right? And my parents, my mom were like, don't be ashamed, you know, embrace it, you know, you know, and I, you know, and that's the worst thing as a kid you want to hear your mom saying to you is like bringing it up and even pointing it out. And, and so we know that the truth hurts when somebody says something that's personal to us. The truth has an impact. And, and sadly, and I think this is true for a lot of guys, particularly who are in their, um, you know, teens, late teens, 20s, that my mantra growing up, you know, as a, as a young adult was, hey, just bring the truth, give the truth, and, you know, it's your problem if you can't handle the truth. That was kind of my mantra. That was what I thought was true. Now, as you can imagine, I, I took that and I applied it to every single relationship and situation. I just got to give the truth, unfiltered, just lay it out there. And, and you know how well that worked, just like it worked for you, right, when you've tried it. It doesn't work so well. I had many relationships blow up. My pride, my arrogance was just on full display for my friends and the world to see. And so we know the danger of just truth unfiltered. But, but sadly, in our culture, I think the pendulum has swung so far the other direction where that the truth is something we just don't talk about. We don't talk about the truth. Truth is there's no absolute truth. And so we just don't give truth. But that's a great danger. And this idea of tolerance is causing the church to be apologetic in a bad way about the gospel that we bring. And as Christ followers, we can't engage this culture without getting to the gospel. And the gospel is offensive. So eventually, you're going to have to get to the gospel, and the gospel is going to offend. That's plain and simple. It's going to happen. And so if we're going to remain faithful to the gospel, we do need to communicate it in a way that produces conversations. But as we see even in our text today, Jesus is having a conversation but it begins to turn hostile because of the truth, 
But we want to be able to have those conversations because nothing good happens when it's just yelling and screaming. And so many times we, as Christians, we've taken a lot of other baggage underneath this umbrella of the gospel, and we make that part of the gospel, which is no part of it. And I would agree with Pastor Mark Woods, who writes this. He says, the trouble is that too many defenders of the faith act like fact-checkers, picking away at the small stuff, arguing in the echo chamber of the like-minded, aiming their fire at each other in the name of orthodoxy, and trying to persuade through accumulation of data. It doesn't work. And so today we're going to learn from Jesus how to speak truth, and he is the one in this conversation who has to give hard truth, difficult truth, and you're going to see Plain and simply, truth hurts, and truth has the potential to hurt. And so as we look at John chapter 8, verse 48 through 59, before we get to that, I want to read one verse from Matthew, where Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, as snakes. Be wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves. So he says, it's going to be dangerous out there. All right, I'm sending you out into wolves. And here's what the posture you need to have. You need to be wise. You need to be discerning. You need to understand the truth. But you, you're not going out there to fight a holy war. You're not just taking it to them unfiltered with no uh, discretion in the way you give the truth. That never, never ends well for anyone. So I hope today as we look at this text, we'll learn from Jesus. But we'll also clearly see that the truth always hurts. So let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Father God, I thank you for your word that just gives us hope and, and life, not just for eternity, but in this life. You give us just all the tools that we need to engage this culture, to live in this culture in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to God, which is our utmost concern, but also in a way that is wise, where people will question the hope that we have, your scripture says. They'll even want to know the hope that we have. And so even while they may mock and make fun of the way that we believe. There's still something obviously different about the way that we carry ourselves and present ourselves. And God, I pray you'll teach us more and more what that means and what that looks like. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So chapter 8, we're going to finish off chapter 8 today. We've been in chapter 8 a while. Let's go back and pick up one verse for context from uh, verse 47. Jesus said, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you don't hear, he's talking to the crowd, he's talking to the religious leaders, the reason you don't hear them is that you're not from God. So that's a pretty strong statement. All right, so we're reaching this point where this conversation is really escalated again. So the Jews are back to their old ways. They go back to personal insults, verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? So personal insults. And we see that there's a progression Anytime you talk to people and get into debates and discussion, it has the potential. What happens to Jesus happens to us. I remember back in college, uh, there was a guy on Martin Fourth Floor, a few doors down from me. His name was Brian Bickers, Christian College. And he and I began to have a discussion in his room one night. And honestly, I think it was over like the chapel service in our Christian college that day, of all things. And we began to have this discussion that turns into this debate and pretty soon, this debate gets heated, it gets emotional, and what happens next is there is some personal kind of insults, some personal statements there, and literally, <coughs> excuse me, Brian 
begins to usher me almost physically out of his out of his dorm room. All right, so at this point, being, you know, here I am, a guy full of testosterone, I, I, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to be pushed out of here. So I begin to be defiant. He tries to close the door on me. I put my foot so the door can't close. We almost come to blows over the fact that we're arguing about something over chapel, over something spiritual. Very, very sad, right? Very sad. But that's what happens in these situations. We start out with a logical discussion, then it gets emotional, and then it becomes personal, and then we'll see in our text today, it literally gets physical. I mean, they, they want to kill Jesus for the things that he's saying because the truth hurts. So he says, their, their accusation, their insults are, are you a Samaritan and you have a demon, right? You're a Samaritan and you have a demon. And so remember Jesus had told them last week we looked at this, that their father wasn't Abraham, their father was the devil. So that's a, a pretty big statement. And to a Jewish person to be accused that uh, by another Jew, that Abraham, and they were not children of Abraham, that was grounds for fighting for them. That was something that's going to stir them up. And that's why this accusation of Jesus having this, this demon. And throughout the gospel, we've seen this accusation against Jesus before, that you're demonic, you have a demon. And, and I think that shows us something here that's important as you uh, uh, defend the faith and defend the gospel. Why do they accuse him of having a demon over and over again? Because Jesus was doing some pretty amazing things. He was doing some pretty remarkable things. And so they had to give some reason how Jesus was able to do these. And obviously they weren't going to say God was behind it. So they had to say Satan was behind it. And if you know the Gospels, you know that this kind of tug and war over this went back and forth quite a few times. So they call him, a de- it said he has a demon. But what is about calling him a Samaritan? Well, interestingly, you know, the Samaritans, we've seen this earlier in this book, these people were worse than Gentiles because they were people who were mixed. They, th- this area of Israel, when the Israelites, most of them vacated, the Gentiles came in and moved in and intermingled and intermarried with the Jews that were left after their, uh, they were sent off to Babylon and into captivity. And so they intermarried, and then over time, they adapted some practices of Judaism, but then a lot of paganism within there. And so they hated the Samaritans. You, many of you know that. But when they called Jesus a Samaritan, this was both a religious slur against him, but it was also a racial slur as well. And what's interesting, Jesus chooses not to respond to the charge of being a Samaritan. Not sure exactly why, but maybe he didn't want to implicitly support this racism that they're implying by insulting that he's not a a Samaritan, but he doesn't go there. All he does is just calmly answer in verse 49, he says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. He is the judge. So Jesus doesn't return insult for insult here. He just responds very matter-of-factly. He says, he doesn't defend himself. He says, I don't have a demon. But then he responds with truth. He says, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. So he's saying, I honor God and here you are, you're insulting me. Verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. We've seen this over and over again by Jesus. And this is really one of those moments where it's just, just a wow moment if we pause here and really see the way that Jesus constantly and always lives his life. 
And this is our model. He leads his life not for his glory, but for God's glory. He's saying, this is not about me. Only God's opinion matters. I'm not focused on what you think. All I'm doing is caring about what God thinks in this matter. And that's the attitude that I desire. And I hope that's the attitude that you desire, that we have such confidence in God that we don't allow our pride in those moments of discussion uh, on the gospel and around Jesus, that they drag us into what we call, the scripture calls, the flesh, where we respond in a way that is not of the spiritual realm, but it's more of our pride, our arrogance. I'm going to get my point across. I'm going to stick my foot in the door and not let you close on me because I don't like that you're pushing me out of here. And so we allow our flesh, and when the Bible speaks of the flesh, is talking about our unredeemed humanness, the fact that we're still human. Even though after salvation, we're given a new nature, but we still live in this life, in this body, and the flesh doesn't refer to our physical skin. It just refers to the fact that we're human beings, that we still, we don't just get rid of our humanness once we come to Christ. And so there's still this, this war that goes on within us, and Galatians 5 talks about it, that we can walk in the spirit and we can walk in the flesh, we can live to please the spirit or please the flesh. But Jesus always lived for the glory of God. And, and he set this as a model for us. And Colossians tells us that we've died. When we came to Christ, we died. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. So Jesus was never in the flesh. Every thought, every motive, every action was for his Father's glory. So ask yourself this question honestly. Do you desire that mindset? Do you desire to 24-7 to live with that mindset of it's not about me, it's for you, God? The mindset of Jesus. Well, this may come as a shock to you, but if you're really truly a believer, 1 Corinthians says that we have the mind of Christ. We've been given the mind of Christ. When, as we sang, we, we, we moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, a lot happened between that transaction when we became a believer, when we were born again. And one of those things was this new nature with this new mindset, which is the mind of Christ, which we grow and we become more and more like Christ and understand his thoughts. So, but what, what is he talking about having the mind of Christ? It means that we are invited to share the plan and the purpose and the perspective of Jesus in this life. So he's invited us in. I want you to live this life by sharing this mindset with me that, I'm gonna that you're going to live for the plans and the purposes of God, for his glory, to bring glory to him, not to you. Because we died, Scripture says, and our life is hid with God in Christ. We're in Christ and we're with God. And so we no longer live, Galatians 2.20, but Christ lives in us. So this means we identify with Christ's purposes, the same purposes that he had when he walked this earth, which was to seek and to save the lost. And so we have this mindset as we navigate our day that I'm here, like Christ, to seek and save the lost. And so that's what it means to have the mind of Christ. We share in Jesus' perspective, and the Holy Spirit gives us that power to be obedient, to be compassionate, and to be prayerfully dependent upon God and to yield to his Spirit's leading. And so we see Jesus set an example again for us 
that he constantly went to meet with the Father. He pulled away from the crowds because he knew that he needed to, to get his Father's insight on his life, on his day. And so Jesus, time and again, pulled away, went away to a solitude, to a quiet place, and he spent time with his Heavenly Father for an example for us as well. And so if, if your day is about jumping out of bed and hitting the street with breakfast in your hand and jumping into your life each morning without hearing from God, chances are you're going to default to the flesh every time, right? Because that driver in front of you is going to be irritating. That person is going to take your parking lot spot again at work. Somebody's going to be saying something you don't like. There's going to be somebody of a different political persuasion who's sounding off next to you in the cubicle. There's always going to be something there that pulls us into the flesh. And, and we know that it's hard enough when we're meeting with God and spending time with Jesus each day. But you don't have a shot if you're not walking in the Spirit and yielding to the Spirit in these matters. So just like Jesus, we get with God and we say, God, today is not for my glory, it's for your glory. And in those moments when you see yourself jumping off into the flesh and you're complaining and, and, and upset, that's the time the Holy Spirit just gives you a check and says, hold on, it's not about you. It's not about you. And you can either at that moment say, thank you for that reminder. I confess that is sin. Let me change this attitude. Or you can just keep going the way that you're going. And so the Holy Spirit uses God's word, our time with God each day to remind us that it's not about us. It's about his glory. And so when we're living just like Jesus for his glory, for God's glory, that's why uh, criticism, insults, and mockery don't have to devastate us. They don't have to just, just flatten us and, and make us just incapable of functioning. So look at how Jesus responds. In verse 51 and 52, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And then the Jews respond again. They say to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And we've seen this throughout the gospel, that Jesus speaks on a spiritual level, spiritual reality, and they hear in a whole different level. He says, if you keep my word, you will never die. And, they, and of course, everyone dies. What's Jesus talking about here? If you follow the news uh, this last week, kind of funny, these were some of the headlines that you may have, have seen. It says that Congress, as if they don't have anything better to do, are going to get together to discuss UFOs, okay? Anybody see that? UFOs, get together to discuss UFOs. Nobody saw that but me? All right, come on, raise your hand. All right, a few of you, all right, saw that, that headline. Okay, so if, if you've been conditioned like I've been conditioned, when you hear UFOs, here's what you think of. You think of Martians, right? You think of, like, these little green men invading our planet. And you're like, okay, I know... Congress isn't real smart, but, you know, isn't there better things to do than get gather and talk about the possibility of a Martian invasion of Earth, right? But uh, I, as far as I know, Martians weren't on this agenda. They were literally talking about unidentified flying objects. But that's a good illustration of how that you can get your mindset so set on one way and one thing that's being said and heard, and that you don't hear the reality of something else. So as soon as you hear, some of you heard UFO, you begin to criticize your government, just like I did in my mind, right? And, and how stupid all this stuff is that's going on in Washington. And I begin to just be a critic and a cynic of, of everything. 
All right, I, I think I was wrong probably, hopefully. I, I want to give the benefit of the doubt there, right? So, so Jesus is speaking in a spiritual realm, and here they are, they're, they're thinking in a physical realm. And so they didn't understand what Jesus meant, and he's not saying that they would live on earth in the same bodies forever and ever if they put their faith in him. He's saying that their physical, that physical death is not the end if they place their faith in him. If they place their faith in Jesus, physical death is not the end of it. They have eternal life. And eternal life from Jesus never was about just getting a home in heaven after you die. Eternal life started immediately and continued on for eternity. So this is a new way of living life. It's a new way of being human. And it begins when we're born again and continues till after we're dead. That's what Jesus is saying. Of course, they're not hearing this. Verse 53 says, they say, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? So for the Jews, Abraham was pretty much the greatest person to ever live. And Jesus to say, you know, that he is all this, this made them very critical. And Abraham was responsible for starting the Jewish nation. Here he is saying, you're not children of Abraham, you're children of the devil. So just, just imagine the tension that's happening here. And they're like, who do you think you are? So you think you're better than Abraham? You're just crazy. And then Jesus starts back in with the truth again. Verse 54, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him, I know him. If I were to say, I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do not know him, and I keep his word. All right, that's a mouthful. That's a big sentence. Let's break it down for a second. Jesus points them to God the Father, whom they claim to have faith in, and refutes any suggestion that he is promoting, Jesus is promoting himself. He says, it's the Father who glorifies me. It's not me doing self-promotion, Jesus says. It's the Father who is showing them that Jesus is greater than not only the prophets, but Jesus is greater than Father Abraham, the founder of their nation, the founder of their religion. And so get the irony here that they, look at the first end of verse 54 again, of whom you say, he is our God. They're saying, we, we know God, but you do not know him. I know him. So the Jews did not know the very God that they claimed to be defending at this point. And they referred to God as my God. Jesus refers to him as my father. So who do you think knew God better? The son knew God the best, clearly. They didn't know God at all. So they were defending a God they did not even know. And Jesus continues in verse 56. He's really now loading up on some truly big truth bombs that he's going to drop. Look at verse 56. He says, your father Abraham re rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Imagine that when Jesus says, okay, father Abraham, the person you revere, the person that you're just mocking and laughing and insulting me because, you, because I'm insinuating that I'm better than Abraham or, or more important than Abraham, that you're saying that you, like Abraham, rejoiced to see your day, they would just have totally been blown away by that. So what's Jesus saying here? Jesus, I think, is, is speaking prophetically about Abraham rejoicing to see the day of Jesus, that, G, that Abraham longed for 
the messianic age where he would see Israel being rescued, even the, the symbolism that it existed when he went to offer Isaac on the sacrifice, and, he, and God told him, hold on for a second, don't offer your son, I'm going to give you a lamb as a burnt offering, as a substitute. And all this was foreshadowing Jesus, who the, the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would never have thought that the Messiah would come and die. All right, So that was just beyond their ability to even comprehend. It was not even in the sphere they lived in. But yet Jesus was saying here that Abraham was prophetically speaking to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. So that you see why they get so upset was because it wasn't just your father Abraham rejoiced to see the Messiah, but your father Abraham rejoiced to see me, to see my day. And so they respond again, of course, mockingly. They say to him in verse 57, you're not even 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? So the Jews challenges, they challenge Jesus' argument with a mocking question. Have you seen Abraham? And, and, and again, so many times this idea of mocking is so common in our society toward Christians. And, and now look, this is not a woe is me moment for Christianity, but it, it's true that our society who, and I, I talked about this some weeks ago, this idea of tolerance, this idea that, that tolerance is the ultimate moral value for our society. And traditional tolerance says that we should respect and honor another person's belief and values without endorsing those, these beliefs or values. But we accept them. We're not hostile toward them. We accept them. But we know that's all been changed around. And today it's defining all values, beliefs, and lifestyles as being level, as being equal. And so the, the issue here with, with tolerance, it, it doesn't work toward Christianity. Christianity is mocked while every other religion or preference is accepted. And so Christianity is rejected under the guise of tolerance, right? But we can't be tolerant to you because you're intolerant. Christianity is intolerant, but we need to be tolerant toward everything else. And so today's, uh, the, the culture that we live in is that truth isn't absolute, of course. And what's interesting is that we are taught that truth is ever-evolving, that it's always progressing, and so therefore that you don't know what truth is, that truth for a previous generation may not be truth for today. Stay with me here, all right? Stay with me. So truth today could have been wrong 50 years ago, but today it's, it's wrong for you to believe the way that you believe. And so truth evolves or changes over time. Now, th this is a silly illustration, but think about something like animal fur, all right? I'm not going to get into any serious issues. We're going to let the, the, the Holy Spirit discern that. All right, a few years ago, California outlawed the selling or buying of any kind of animal fur. Well, years ago, Americans celebrated with animal fur. I mean, parties in the high society, that's what you wore, right? Meek and fur. But today, now, it's considered evil and bad, and so it's even outlawed. And, and so, as a Christian, like, you see that truth, like, what was acceptable is no longer acceptable today. Again, that's a silly illustration unless you're in the fur or trade or, or mink business in California, and then you're out of work, and that might be a problem for you. But you see that, that we, we live in a culture that won't accept truth, and the goalpost keeps moving along the way. And so, God tells, tells us to be wise as serpents 
and to be innocent as doves. So as we navigate this culture, we must be very, very astute in our understanding of the Bible and how this applies, and we live it out in our culture today because it's not easy. And so we need to understand a couple things, I think, that are critically important. One is people don't believe the gospel because they're enslaved and blinded by Satan. They're enslaved and blinded by Satan. And so we're going to find ourselves in situations where, plain and simple, if you speak the truth, you will be mocked, ridiculed, and made fun of. But we can't engage this culture, as I said, without getting to the truth. We get those conversations going, but eventually you've got to get to the gospel, and the gospel is going to offend. And Jesus made it clear again and again and again, one of those verses being Matthew 24, 9, he says to the disciples, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Not if, but he says then you'll be arrested, persecuted, killed. You will be hated all, uh, hated all over the world because you are my followers. Hated all over the world because you're my followers. And so Jesus set the tone for us very early on is this is coming. And Pastor John MacArthur, a good quote from him that I think really just kind of pulls this together. He says, it's only biblical Christianity that is persecuted in the world and in our society. People aren't persecuting Hindus. They're not persecuting Buddhists. They're not persecuting Muslims. They don't persecute people of other religions because all false religion is part of the same kingdom of darkness, and a house divided against itself cannot stand, right? And it's, it's a great quote. It's a great reminder. And, and obviously, there are some persecution of other religions throughout the world. But I think he's generally saying is Christianity has a target because we have the truth. And, you know, and I'm sorry that if, even sitting here at Grace Church this morning, if you kind of just kind of shrivel it and you're like, oh, oh that, that bothers me, that, that you need to go back and to read and understand what the gospel is and the ex- exclusiveness of the gospel. That Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, the life, Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And that's the Jesus we follow. And so we assume that we're going to be mocked and ridiculed. And here's how it practically plays out a lot of times. I don't know if you're like this, that when you say something or you give the truth and you are mocked or ridiculed, you begin to question yourself and say, you know, was I unwise? Did I say something inappropriate? Did I make a mistake? But here's the thing. Just remember, truth hurts. And if you're truly, and I'm not talking about filling yourself up on Fox News and then going out into society and taking on your day. I'm talking about filling yourself up with Jesus and the Scriptures and going out and taking on the day, that in that moment, God will give you discernment to deal with those situations, not perfectly, and you're going to make mistakes and missteps, but you can be confident that when you're mocked and made fun of, that you're being mocked and made fun of for the gospel, not for the latest talking points. And so the truth hurts, but as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we must stick to truth and be willing for whatever happens as a result to be okay with that because we're living for God's glory, not for self-glory, not for own glory. Verse 58, Jesus drops the biggest truth bomb possible. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, here it is, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. 
of all the times where Jesus uses God's name, the great I am, as we sing about, this is really the, the most clear of all of them. This is the most direct of all of them. He's saying to them very, very clearly, I'm ageless. You're saying 50 years old? Look, I've been around for a lot longer than that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was a light for men. People don't like light. They don't like truth. They don't like the gospel. And Jesus says, here's the gospel truth. Here's who I am. And this is why when I die on the cross, it's good enough to cover the sins of all humanity. Because I am the I am. And sometimes we forget that. We forget why Jesus died. We don't have a, a big enough view of the gospel that sometimes we forget that God's standard Hear this. God's standard is perfection. And the law clearly points out that we, we can't do it, right? And so Jesus came and he lived the perfect life. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the atonement for our sins. And so that all that look on him have eternal life. And so there's this exchange. It's, it's Christ's righteousness for my sin, because I can never achieve this perfection that God, that he requires. So Jesus is my stand-in. He's my substitute. And when Jesus becomes our Savior and Lord, everything changes about our life. We want to live for the gospel. The Holy Spirit just drives us, convicts us of sin and to live. And the more that we live this life in his word and yielding to the spirit, the more that we're being faithful to the gospel message. And as we engage the culture, we're able to engage with the truth. And we're okay with what happens after that. Because look what happens to Jesus next. It's a murderous attempt on his life. Verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him. So if there's any question, the truth hurts, right? Big, large stones hurt. Being nailed to a cross hurts. And so the truth hurts not just the person who hears, but the truth can hurt those who are speaking the truth as well. And obviously it's not Jesus' time yet to die, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. We don't know exactly how he did it, but Jesus escapes. So here's our takeaways for today. You just need to know and wrap your mind around it. The truth hurts. The gospel hurts. Because people like their darkness. They love their darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, John said. But here's the hard application. And if you were here at the marriage event last week, last Sunday, this was the Paul Tripp quote, but an extended that we didn't get all of it in the video. He says this, he says, Truth that is not spoken in love ceases to be truth because it is twisted 
by other human agendas. Love that is not guided by truth ceases to be love because it is divorced from God's agenda. Keep that up there for a second. That's a great quote. Truth not spoken because you love the other person and you want to see them come to Jesus. Any truth that you give them is going to be tainted by your agendas. And it's not going to be truth at all. But at the same time, if you, want, if you think you're going to love people, but you don't give them truth, you're not loving them at all. And so here's that delicate balance that we're asked by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do, is to speak the truth in a way that sometimes people may want to throw large stones at you, but you're still speaking in love, and you're doing it in a way that's wise. So who, who do you need to speak? Honestly, I, put a name or names in your mind right now. Who do you need to speak the truth to? Who needs to hear the truth from you? If you're living like Jesus and you're saying, God, I, I just want to do what you want me to do. I, I want your marching orders for today. I need to live my life today for your glory and not for my own. Then he's going to drop some names into your mind. And, and these are names that you need to be able to share the gospel with when the time comes. To share Jesus with when the time comes. And every conversation in here will look differently. There's not a one-size-fits-all, let me give you these five spiritual laws and just go give it. No, we got to use wisdom and discernment the way we speak to each person individually. But think about that person. What's holding you up from giving the truth to them? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to start praying for that person. I try to keep three people on my prayer list that are unbelievers and I'm praying for at all time. I encourage you to do the same because you'll see those opportunities when you have them in a different light. And here's what I try to do. I like to run. I've told you guys I like to run. You know, sometimes I start running down the street on, a, on the beginning of a run, and I, I get this annoying little feeling in the bottom of my foot. And I know immediately what it is. It's a little pebble. And, and, and the littlest of pebble, I get, you know, I stop afterwards, get the shoe off, I shake it out. I'm looking for something big to fall out. And it's like something super tiny that falls out. And it's like, that made my foot feel that way? That's what we need to do with people in our lives a lot of times. We just need to put a little pebble into their mind about the gospel. We just need to look for those opportunities to plant that little seed of the gospel. And then let the Holy Spirit work, use us in whatever way possible. So some of you are thinking, I, there's no way I've heard all this before. I've done evangelism classes. I'm just I'm not good at sharing the gospel. But you can put a little gospel pebble in somebody's shoe. This is going to be irritating, and it's going to, they're going to get in their mind, and they're going to think about it. This morning, or this last week, I was invited to go this morning to the country club to speak at their annual golf tournament. They want to start a little uh, devotional time before they start the golf tournament today, and they asked me to come out and, and speak. And it was funny, as the guys filtered in, there was, it was a better crowd than I anticipated, and as they filtered in, quite a few of them were like, oh, yeah, I'm coming to this because I, I need to make my golf game better today, right? I need, I need to do better today, all right? Rub my golf club, you know, make, make my game better, all right? Little did they know that my whole goal, being there, was going to put a pebble in their shoe. Now, I know that most of the people showing up for this time were, were believers, probably, or claimed to be believers, but, but I wanted to put a little gospel pebble into their shoe for the day as they drove around on the golf cart and hit a golf ball. I wanted them to think about what really matters. And for that person in there who's been playing games, maybe they just aren't really a believer, they've been going to church for years, and they know their faith is fake, I want them to deal with the gospel and to struggle with the gospel today. 
And so I hope it made their game worse if they're not a believer, right? I hope today they, they had the worst day ever. But maybe, maybe the gospel stuck with them and God changes their heart for all eternity. And that's what we want to do with the gospel. You can do that. I can do that. We can do that. Will we do that? Do we care enough? Do we love enough to speak the truth and not get sidetracked on a bunch of other issues that aren't gospel issue that, that taint our presentation of the gospel? And when God calls us to give the gospel, then we have to weed through a bunch of other stuff that we've dealt with and, and, and put out there, and we've compromised the gospel for that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for Jesus Christ and for him crucified. And the gospel is, is foolishness for those who are perishing. For those who are, of us who are being saved, it's a power of God. And God, I thank you that more and more as I live this life, that I see the power of the gospel. And know that we don't have promise for, of forever in this life. And many of us here today, we're, we're well over the halfway point of our lives. And we know that we're going to have to give an account for what we do with Jesus Christ. And that's the most important decision that one could ever make. And Father God, I pray that you'll help us, not just for our own life, to know that we know that we know that we're in you and that we're following you. That God, those around us who don't know you, put a burden on our heart to just plant that gospel pebble into their shoe so they can just be confronted with their sin and with the hope of the gospel. And God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your tremendous patience with us. And give us wisdom as we share truth. In Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen.